Kenny, I was uh, reminded of how difficult these Old Testament names are. And I'm sorry you got the assignment to try to read these first three verses. Very difficult, but we'll make our way through. As you might know, we are starting a... Claude prayed about a new series this week in the book of Jeremiah. So we've spent most of the year in this particular book. And we're going to look at these few first few verses this morning. I once heard a speaker talk about a crack in the wall of his bedroom. So he discovered the crack and quickly called a painter who came in and with just a little bit of money and not much time, the crack disappeared. A few months later, crack was back. And so he decided he'd try another painter. Uh, but this painter came in and said to the man that the problem really wasn't in poor paint. It was the man had a house that was built on a shifting foundation. And as long as the house was not prepared to be stabilized at the foundation, he was going to constantly see a crack in his wall. The crack was just exposing a problem, a much bigger problem, with the foundation of this man's house. Kathleen Norris is a writer who wrote a New York Times best-selling book about her personal experiences living in a monastery. She lived in a monastery. When she lived in the monastery, they read through the book of Jeremiah for her morning devotion times. And she writes this, and her comments are printed on the front of your bulletin, about her reflections on Jeremiah. She says this, Coming unglued seemed to be the point of listening to Jeremiah. The prophet, after all, is a witness to a time in which his world... The society surrounding the temple in Jerusalem meets a violent end, and Israel is taken captive to Babylon. Hearing Jeremiah's words every morning, I soon felt challenged to reflect on the upheavals in our own society and in my life. A prophet's task is to reveal the fault lines hidden beneath the comfortable surface of the worlds we invent for ourselves the national myths, as well as the little lies and delusions of control and security that get us through the day. I want you to to hear that sentence again. A prophet's task is to reveal the fault lines hidden beneath the comfortable surface of your world, the world you invent for yourself. National myths, as well as little lies and delusions of control and security that get us through the day. And Jeremiah does this better than anyone else. You and I live in a culture trapped on the surface, chained to the surface. And we are captured by cosmetic surgery. We are constantly trying to fix ourselves, whether it's physically or spiritually, with cosmetic surgery. Something that's just going to paint over the cracks of our life, and we're not always that interested in trying to get down to the foundation. Now you can see this in many, many different places, but the place that most irritates me, and I know you've seen, is at the corner of College and Oleander. There is a billboard there, and you've passed it many times. And it's an advertisement for cosmetic surgery. 
There's a pretty girl in a bathing suit on the billboard. You know what the little line says. Three more months until bathing suit season. And the message just couldn't be any louder to our culture. Live your life on the surface. What happens on the surface is all that matters. And so if you've got a crack in the surface, come and we'll try to fix that in some way cosmetically. And our nation and our churches are full of people who spend their time trying to paint over the exterior, just trying to cover up little wounds or cracks in our lives, rarely getting down to the real problem, and that is that we may have our feet planted on a shifting foundation. When you read the book of Jeremiah, it's like listening to an alarm clock without a snooze button. Every chapter just keeps going off, trying to awaken God's people to say, look at your problem. It's not on the surface. Your big problems are you, you, the people of God, Jeremiah is talking to. You've got your feet planted on a shifting foundation. And you're worried about all these little cracks and you spending your life as God's people just trying to cover them up with paint. And Jeremiah, like an alarm, is going off and saying, no, the problem is much deeper. The problem is at the foundation Jeremiah is not a painter, he's a prophet. Jeremiah is not popular. Jeremiah didn't write anything that would be considered a bestseller in his times. In fact, one of the writings that he wrote, he gave to the king, and the king took a knife and sliced it up and put it into a fire. So Jeremiah had to rewrite what he wrote. Jeremiah exposes... Mine, and will expose your hidden fault lines. As a prophet, he's going to get down to little lies and delusions. Places that you think you're in control. In the opening verses, we discover that Jeremiah is a spokesman for God. He's going to speak out the words of God. And in Jeremiah 29, he says that the word of God is like a hammer. He likens it to a fire and a hammer. And so here the Word of God is a hammer meant to break through the crust of our lives, to get down to the foundation, to break through the lies that we live that are covered by the latest diet craze, the most recent wealth without work scheme, or lives painted over by things like the secret. The Word of God is a hammer meant to break open very dull lives. People who, who basically are living second hand. People who find life when they're following the, the latest episode with Britney Spears. Somehow they feel like they're living vicariously through other people. Or people who watch the Oscars and like to judge the evening gowns that the people wear. Or if you're one of the people that are on the internet and you've fallen in, your life is so dull, you've fallen into second-hand living by going to the website called, you know what it's called? Second Life. 
People's lives are so dull, so painted over, so crusted over, they can't find life in this living, so they've gone somewhere else and they have a second life, something that's exciting, something that's fake. And Jeremiah is trying to break through the fake and get us down to what real living looks like. Eugene Peterson writes these words in the book, Run with the Horses. When we get thoroughly disgusted with the shams of this life, some of us turn to the scriptures to satisfy our need for someone to look up to. What shape does mature, authentic humanity take in everyday life? When we turn to the scriptures, we're apt to be surprised. One of the first things that strikes us about the men and women in scripture is they are disappointingly non-heroic. We do not find splendid moral examples. We, find, we do not find impeccably virtuous models. That always comes as a shock to newcomers. Abraham lied, Jacob cheated, Moses murdered, David committed adultery, and Peter blasphemed. We discover that the significant figures in the life of faith were fashioned from the same clay as the rest of us. We find that Scripture is sparing in the information that it gives on people while it is lavish in what it tells us about God. Scripture refuses our lust for hero worship. It doesn't play that game. Something very different takes place in the life of faith. Each person discovers all the elements of a unique and original adventure. The Bible makes it clear every story of faith is completely original. Every story of faith is meant to be completely original. God's creative genius is endless. He never resorts to mass-producing copies. We are prevented from following another footstep, another's footsteps and are instead called to an incomparable association with Christ. So when we come to Jeremiah, we're not meant to follow in Jeremiah's footsteps. We're meant to have an incomparable association with God Almighty. And then he will put us in our culture and then we will live the life of faith that God has designed for us. And I don't know if you've ever felt chained by the surface. Trapped in sort of a shallow society or caught up yourself in painting over cracks in your life. If you felt that way, reading through Jeremiah should come with this warning. Brace for impact. He he comes at you like a hammer, trying to break up all of that shallow living that captures our attention. And my prayer is that no matter how painful the hammer would feel, it would crack open your life. The book of Jeremiah is not an indictment on his society or his culture. It's an indictment on the people of God. He doesn't come in to Jerusalem and just rip the culture. He comes in and he looks at the people in the temple. And he says, the problem with the culture is not the culture, it's the people in the temple. God's people have gone astray. God's people need the hammer. And so as we go through the book of Jeremiah, resist the temptation of thinking, gosh, that's a great message for my friend who I need to tell. The message is for the people who are sitting in these seats each week. 
So this morning, we only have time to really just do two quick things. One is to try to put Jeremiah in some kind of historical context. Just so as you enter into Jeremiah, you have some sense of what's happening in the broadest scope in the Old Testament. And secondly, I want to end with just looking at some of the names listed that Kenny did such a good job with this morning. Now, I want to look at the historical context, and I want you to do two things. I want you to flip over to Jeremiah chapter 42 and just hold a place there, 42 verse 10. We're going to get to that in a little bit. And the second thing I want you to do is to sit up straight. And I say that because when you talk about history, most people just want to fade and sort of, you know, just check out. And, you know, when you get to the application, I'll wake back up, Paul. But just the historical timeline, I'm not interested in. But if we don't understand this big picture, it's going to be hard for us to understand where Jeremiah fits. And a lot of us are probably not really up to speed as what's happening in the Old Testament. We may have never read through Jeremiah. So let's try to put some history into these first few verses. Around 1500 B.C., Moses leads the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of a prison. They cross over the Red Sea and they're on their way to become a nation. And constantly Moses, as he leads his people across into a new place, he's constantly reminding the people, now look, we're leaving the prison, we're leaving slavery, don't ever go back to Egypt. Now you would think, well, who would, who would, once you've left prison, who would ever want to go back? Once you've left slavery, what would possibly draw you back, back into slavery? But Moses and all the leaders that follow him are constantly reminding God's people, don't go back to Egypt. And as odd as that may sound, I think probably most of us can appreciate how easy it is for us who may have had a life-transforming encounter with Christ to finally get called out of some pit. But how easy it is for us to lean back into that same pit. Whatever your sinful habit is, it's so easy to find yourself falling back into a life of slavery or being imprisoned with something. Even though we know it's not right, it's hard for us not to go back to Egypt. So Moses reminds his people, Joshua follows as the leader following Moses. He leads the people into the land of Canaan. And they established the country that we know of as Israel. In around 1050, now this is some 450 years after Moses leads them out of Egypt, around 1050 there are some kings that are established. And that's where you get the book of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. If you want to learn about the kings in in Israel, you just go to those chapters and they just line them up. Here's the first king, here's the second, here's the third. The first king appointed for Israel is a man named Saul. He didn't do a very good job, and so he's relieved of duty. And secondly comes David, which most of us know something about David and Goliath, David and Bathsheba. David, who is the king, who's in the line of Christ. He is the, he, he is the prototype in the Old Testament of the real king that's coming. And then he is followed by his son named Solomon. Now, especially under Solomon's leadership, 
God's people begin to lose sight of God. When, when you get to Solomon, God's people begin to lose sight of God and the foundation begins to shift and cracks begin to appear. And one big crack happens in the nation of Israel and that is the nation itself splits into two. They have basically a kind of civil war and it splits into north and south. And in the northern part of Israel now is called Israel And the southern part of Israel now has a different name called Judah. And its leading city is Jerusalem. The northern kingdom has a long series of corrupt kings, none of whom follow after God. So they just continue their downward slide away from God until finally in 722, the Assyrian army from the north comes in and invades Israel And the Israelites, the Jewish people at that point, are dispersed. What's left is the smaller portion, the southern kingdom called Judah. Judah actually has some quality leaders. We'll see here in just a minute, one of them, Josiah. But for the most part, they're on a downward trajectory. They're they're not the kind of stock portfolio you'd like to see. You know, they have some upticks, but mostly over the course of time, it's, it's going down. It's not going in the direction that you want. And it's largely because they don't have godly leadership. However, in 640 B.C., there's a discovery or a rediscovery of God's word. You won't believe it, but they found God's word in God's temple. <laughs> Can you imagine going to a church that wouldn't have God's word? Yes, you can. And that's what had happened. There were buildings, there were activities, there were programs, but nobody knew God's Word. And so finally, some folks find it, and under some very capable capable leadership, under a guy named Josiah, and this is where we reach Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Josiah comes in and he calls the people back to walking along or according to God's word. It's very fascinating. You can read in 1 Kings 22 and 23 this afternoon in just a few minutes his life and his time. And Jeremiah lives in the administration of these three kings, Josiah, Jehoiakim, And Zedekiah. Their names are interesting. Josiah's name means the Lord heals. So the Lord did heal the land because there was a faithful minister and somebody who was proclaiming God's word. And the land was healed. And for some years, Judah had some success. Some modest reforms took place, but Josiah was killed in a battle with the Egyptians, and he was followed by Jehoiakim, who, whose name means the Lord raises up. The problem with Jehoiakim was he was not interested in raising up God's name. Jehoiakim was interested in raising up his own name. He wasn't interested in planting the flag for God and saying, look at God. He was mostly interested in building a nice big palace for himself and saying, everybody needs to look at me now as the ruler or the king. He was a person that was more afraid of people than God. 
He spent 11 years as the ruler, and he was replaced by Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah, whose name means the Lord is righteous or the Lord is right. Unfortunately, Zedekiah thought he was right. He would listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would come in, tell him about what God said and say, Zedekiah, if you just do these things. And Zedekiah said, no, I appreciate your advice, but I really really think my thinking is really clear here. And so he went with his thinking. The last thing Zedekiah saw was his two sons killed before his eyes, and then his eyes were burnt out by the Babylonians who in 586 came in and took over the southern kingdom of Judah. Now let's turn now to Jeremiah 42, and you'll see now at the end of all of this, Jeremiah was left with a remnant of people. The Babylonians came into uh, Judah. They took out all the real smart people. And there was really left a very poor group of people, a very poorly educated group of people in Jeremiah. And everything Jeremiah had set up at this point had come true. And here he is. He's trying to help these poor people. He's been in prison himself. They've been on a, in a terrible place of war and famine. Everything is sort of crumbling around him. And then Jeremiah, chapter 42, he says this. Verse 10. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not, and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah to these people. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord, and say, no, we will go down to the land of Egypt, where we will not see war or hear the sound of a trumpet or be hungry for bread, we will dwell there. Then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. Chapter 43. Verse 1, when Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all of these words that the Lord had given to him, the leaders said this in verse 2, you're telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go down to Egypt and live there. After everything Jeremiah had said, it all had come true visually in front of these people. These people are still trying to take matters in their own hand and say, No, we know better than what the Lord has to say. We know how we should live our lives. We don't want somebody coming in and telling us what to do. We know that life can be found down in the superficial surface place of Egypt. And they take, as a prisoner, Jeremiah to Egypt. And soon after their arrival, the mouthpiece of God, the voice of God, Jeremiah, is stoned to death in Egypt. 
That, that puts the book, and as quickly as I can do it, in a big picture. What has happened? Jeremiah was born at a dark time. And over his lifetime, his time got darker. And what we want to ask ourselves is, how can you live in a dark culture, in a failing society, and yet still live? Not get trapped on the surface. And Jeremiah shows us that. Jeremiah's name, very interesting, it has a, a lot of uncertainty as to what it actually means. Eugene Peterson and some other commentaries suggest this possibility that Jeremiah's name means the Lord, the Lord hurls or he throws. Peterson says this, one day a son son was born. Hilkiah and his wife named him Jeremiah in anticipation of the way God would act in his life. In hope, they saw into the future and anticipated their son as a person whom God would hurl into the community as a javelin representative of God, penetrating the defenses of selfless, of the selflessness of selfishness with divine judgment and mercy. What we read in verse 4, which we'll get to in more in depth next week, is that Jeremiah was called before he was born. Before Jeremiah was born, he was called to be hurled into this particular place like a javelin. Jeremiah's arrival in Jerusalem is not an accident. It's by divine design. Jeremiah is hurled into a world to make God's name known. He's hurled into a place, into a culture, who's built its whole existence on shifting foundations. People who want to live in the shallow end or people who are chained to the surface, he's like a javelin hurled into that world to call the people back to God. God is still looking for people to hurl. People who are not trapped on the surface. People who are not interested in winning popularity contests. People who don't care about writing best-selling books. People who are wanting to enter into the world and make God's name known. People who are willing to penetrate through the surface of people's lives. To be like a javelin that gets thrown into a dark place to call people back to God. And Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is going to ask us, are you willing to be hurled by God? I mean, is there anyone here that's willing to fall into the incomparable grip of God Almighty and be hurled into a very dark situation? 
Anyone here who's willing to be hurled into a family and be a godly father or a godly mother, even when it's dark, and lead your children to the light of Christ. Anyone here willing to be hurled into a high school or into a college that says truth is relative. We don't accept Christianity here. We don't accept anything that's absolute. Is there anyone here that's willing to be hurled into that dark place and take their stand and shine like a star in the universe? Is there anybody here willing to be hurled into this community, into a business, into a neighborhood that's captured by the surface, saturated by the superficial? But you're willing to be hurled into that place, as dark as it may be, and stand and proclaim God's Word. Are there any men, young men particularly, who are willing to be hurled into a pulpit and stand behind a pulpit every week proclaiming God's Word to God's people and not just trying to produce programs? Is there anyone here who would be willing to be hurled into another nation, into a country, into a people group where millions of people live and not one person has ever heard the name Jesus Christ? You see, Jesus is still wanting people to fall into his open hands. But you've got to give up on the little lies and the self-delusions of control and manipulation. And he will then carry you all the way. Not just into a dark place, but through that dark place. And we have to ask ourselves... Are we really willing to be hurled into the darkness? Or do we want to be comfortable? Jeremiah, you're going to discover, lives a very uncomfortable life. But he's living. He's really alive in the midst of dying and decaying people. He's the one unique person who's standing there who's really living because he's fallen into the living hands of God Almighty. It's interesting that when Jesus came into the world, people thought a lot of different things about him. One of the things specifically mentioned in Matthew 16 is they said, Hey, you look like Jeremiah. I mean, what we know of Jeremiah, you're kind of that person. You, you look like you've been hurled into our world from before time began. You're light and you've been hurled into darkness. That's a lot like Jeremiah. Except that when Jeremiah was hurled, he was hurled into the world to tell people about God. 
to point people to God. When Jesus is hurled into the world, he came to say, I am God. And I am pointing all of mankind to myself. And what we know about the life of Jesus Christ is that he was hurled into a very dark place. And he came and he said, I am the light of the world. And if anybody really wants life, not chained to the surface, not captured by the cosmetic kind of stuff that we live in, but if you really want life, you get connected to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. Is there anybody who wants to fall into my hands and living be hurled into dark places? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the rest of the world. And proclaim the light of the gospel. If you have an interest in doing that, then you better know what your foundation is. Is your foundation built on the one person who not only hurls you into the darkness, but promises to get you all the way through the darkness? You see, everything that you base your life on has the power to throw you into darkness. In case you haven't figured that out. But Jesus comes and says, I can get you through the darkness. Because I absorb all the darkness of your sin. I took on all of the darkness. When Jesus died on the last three hours of his death, it was dark. And then he burst forth in life, saying, anybody who would like to be connected to me will find real life. When we take communion here at Christ Community Church, you come up, you take a piece of bread, you dip it into the cup. You don't eat it on your way to the cup. I've noticed people have done that before, and then they get there and go, wow, I'm not sure what to do now. If you do that, just pass on by. It's funny, people come up and they, they're trying to get a little piece of bread and they get a big piece of bread. And they don't know what to do. It's like a whole meal They've up here. And now they don't, do I take it off and put some back? I mean, there's all kinds of nervous tension as you come up about what you're going to do with this bread. You know, none of that matters. If you're connected to life, if you're really living your life for Christ, He's saying, I am enough for you. I know you're captured by the billboards and the magazines and what they say in your workplace and what they say in your school, but here I am. I'm life. Come and get me. It's not for the people who have no faults. Because everyone limps up to the table. But it's for people who aren't fakes. Are you connected to Christ? Is He your life? Is He your foundation? 
If you've committed yourself to Him, then welcome to the table. If you have not, then I would beg you to take the time to quietly reflect on what you have your feet planted on. What is it you're basing your life on? Can it bring you all the way through the darkest moments that you're going to encounter? I'll ask the elders to come forward and let's pray together. Lord, there's something about this table. It reminds us of our weakness. We come forward, everyone coming forward, saying, I'm a sinner. I am captured by the surface. I, I may feel chained there. I find myself going back to Egypt even though I've had a life-transforming encounter with Christ. Everybody coming in is needy. And you're going to be able to meet every need here. In ways that we can't imagine. But I pray that people come forward are planted on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And that people who need to sit will sit and ask themselves, what have I planted my life on? Thank you, Lord, for coming. For piercing the darkness, not only of this world, but of the soul of Paul Phillips of hammering through a, a superficial high school student and giving life where death was reigning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you do your work here in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.